Welcome to My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast. I'm Ollie, and I'm a business psychologist. And I'm James, and I'm a cultural transformation specialist. And together, we're your hosts of My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast. James is that friend who had never listened to a podcast until March this year when I started recommending fabulous podcasts for James to listen to, and then we started reviewing them on our own podcast every week. And our goal of the podcast is really to help you navigate through the massive amount of content that's out there and essentially be your guide to podcasting. What should you be listening to? When should you be listening to it? And why should you be listening to it? Now, Ollie, we travel a lot for work and I'm curious, where are you this week? I am still in my hotel in Brisbane next to a building site. So apologies if there is some background noise. We want to bring a podcast to you weekly, regardless of where James and I are. So over the next couple of months, there may be some sketchy recordings from various outback places as we go back on the road after COVID. Now, last week, Ollie, you recommended a podcast called No Strings Attached. And my mind immediately went to a movie starring Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman, which has nothing to do with this podcast. (laughs) So could you tell our audience what No Strings Attached is all about? This is our invitation to any listeners who haven't had a chance to check out No Strings Attached by ITN to go away and listen to the podcast, or you can stay and listen to our review and then go and check out the podcast. Warning, there will be spoilers. The host of No Strings is Robert Murphy. What I loved about this podcast, James, is it really felt as if you were hearing about a crime from the detective's perspective and the police point of view. And it makes a really nice change from our normal podcasts, because in this podcast, it's my firm belief that the police did an absolute tremendous job of bringing this particular individual by the name of Emile Silius to justice for attempting to kill his wife by tampering with her parachute. And immediately you're thrown into almost like the back seat of a detective's car, right? In the back, I don't want to say in the paddy wagon because we're not the criminals, but you kind of feel like you're on a journey with these detectives who are basically trying to unravel what went down, how this all took place. Now to set the scene, Vicky was an experienced skydiver. She'd done it many, many times to the point where she could do it solo. So this wasn't her first time in the air From what I understand, her husband Emil had also been quite involved in the skydiving community. They had frequented this skydiving establishment many times before, so they knew lots of people that were there. Luckily, Vicky didn't die after her parachute jump and her parachute failed to open. However, she was extremely badly injured. And as she was being put into the back of the ambulance, it was some of her skydiving colleagues who noticed first that there was something wrong with the parachute itself and that it had some slinks missing. And that's when they alerted the detectives by the name of Maddie Henner, Mark Lewis and Paul Franklin, who did an absolute tremendous job of trying to find out exactly what had happened to Vicky's parachute, even though this was not technically a homicide, James. Mm. One of the things that our listeners have to be aware of is a couple of circumstances led to Vicky surviving. One of them was that on that day, they weren't able to travel at the regular altitude for where you'd normally do your jump. So she was traveling almost at a third of the regular altitude, only from 4,000 feet. 
She also was quite light. And one of the reserve parachutes that had been tampered with popped up in a way that it caught a bit of a wind tunnel and put her into a spiral. So all of these things, you might call them coincidences or actually led to her surviving the incident. And yeah, you're then thrown into this investigation. These detectives with like sheer determination for the rest of the podcast, their number one goal is to figure out what went down and how it happened. And who do you think in a attempted murder crime is the first suspect. It's always the husband. Right? Like, it's kind of like becoming quite apparent to me now that in these true crimes, the first person that's usually questioned is the partner, the boyfriend, or in this case, the husband, Emil. And there were some pretty sus things that they discovered pretty early on about Emil, including that he had a very serious girlfriend in the States by the name of Steph Goller. And his Tinder girl. He was texting her hundreds of times a day. I think the number was like 725 times a day that they figured out he was messaging her. Yeah. And some of those messages were exceptionally dubious. He was referring to being able to be free and spontaneous as of April, when Vicky's jump was. He also had some very suspicious Google searches along the lines of how to find a wet nurse because Vicky at the time was still breastfeeding their youngest. Five-month-old baby. For me, James, there's no good reason to be doing searches along those lines unless you are planning to do away with the mother of your children. In no way here am I defending Emil. I want to put it out there that I reckon most people listening, yourself included, Ollie, and myself, have probably Googled some really weird stuff in the past, right? Because in the moment, in a conversation, when you're trying to think of something, when you're trying to spell a word, like whatever it might be, we go to Google. And sometimes I, I, I then worry, what if that ever came out? Like for this exact podcast, during the recording of my friend has never listened to a podcast, I had to look up how to spell pedophile. And immediately I was worried about if that ever came out, what would happen? So yes, he was definitely Googling some quite weird stuff on the internet, but that alone obviously didn't convict him of the crime. And he chose tampering with her parachute as one of the ways to kill her, which in hindsight was a very bad way to try and kill her because by all accounts, skydiving is quite a safe sport and for your main parachute to fail is very unlikely. For your then reserve parachute to fail as well is unheard of. This had never happened in the world ever before. Wasn't it like a one in several hundred thousand chance? It never happened before. Mm. And what what you might have picked up on then is that Ollie mentioned it was one of the ways in which he tried to kill her. You learn through No Strings Attached that the detectives uncover that a week beforehand, there'd actually been a gas leak in that house while he was out and while his wife and two kids were asleep at home. And the dodgy response to her text message, James, when she messaged him and said, I think we have a gas leak. He responded with, have you turned the cooker on? What the hell? (laughs) Why didn't he just text back, could you do me a favour and blow yourself and my kids up, please? This is coming from the same guy, though, who at one stage, while his wife was going into labour, messaged back, okay. Oh, mate. (laughs) You're looking at a really, really interesting character and no strings attached really peels back the the layers of the onion that is emil yeah starting with not only did he have one girlfriend in america steph he was also still sleeping with his first wife and 
regularly visiting sex workers and swingers clubs and the detectives got to go to one of the swingers clubs in Salisbury (laughs) itself. Let's remember that Emile Silius's wife had no idea that her husband was slinking off to fulfil his fantasies in the upstairs room of a terraced house in Salisbury. I do know that his tick list was nearly a full house, domination, everything spanking, threesomes, foursomes, gangbangs, group sex, dogging. These are all the things that's listed on there. So you basically untick the ones you got no interest in. And he had a very wide range, domination, S&M, you know, some, so there's some, you know, and then also on there you've got a choice of safe sex or unsafe sex. You know, you got everything on it, and it basically he go for anything. So we've learned three main points from Ricky Harwood. Emil Silias was here, perhaps while his wife had no idea that Silias pushed the rules, went beyond them, but more importantly, according to Ricky Harwood, this married man was having unprotected sex with strangers. In Salisbury, there was a club that existed back when. Emil was in his heyday. What was it called? The name of the club was called Donkey Dicks, <laughs> which I, I for a while was calling Donkey's Dick. <laughs> Donkey Dicks was the swingers club that was a house that moonlighted as a, a swingers club. And according to the ex-owner, they were quite internationally renowned. So they used to get some pretty big laddie da people coming through there, <laughs> paying 20 quid a night for I free know. chips, bedding and a hot breakfast. <laughs> Do you know what I discovered recently? Because somebody told me, not because I frequented <laughs> one of these establishments. I found out that Early Beach is apparently a hotbed for swingers. Oh, maybe it's the climate. <laughs> <laughs> really? Are you joking? No. Apparently, this is quite well known. I don't know if to be offended, though, because myself and my <laughs> husband have never been invited to any of these swingers clubs. Not that we'd go, but an invite might be nice. Well... I used to live in Dubai, as you know, for many years, and apparently, without giving too much away over there as well, there was a community of expatriates that lived in kind of like a closed residence, if you will, that was notoriously known as the swinger hotspot, keys in a bowl, wife swapping kind of stuff. So it's out there, right? Like it's it's around. And I mean, the fact that this podcast talks about it in some way kind of normalizes the fact that there are people out there like this. And again, another quality of Emile's that doesn't necessarily make him a murderer, but starts adding to a long list of interesting personality traits or... And he got banned from Donkey habits. Dicks, James. Yeah, he, wasn't, I mean, he wasn't the most yeah, polite yeah, be a bit of a, <laughs> and respectful yeah. customer they had. You have to be a bit of a pest if you're one of the only five people in history to be banned from from Donkey Dicks. Like, how about that for a claim to fame? I know. I- I'm wondering if his picture was on the back of the wall yeah. somewhere. <laughs> this man is jarred. Yeah, yeah. Don't let him in. So yeah, again, another another layer that you're looking at. This guy who could almost lead these multiple lives and keep it all afloat. So he was having 725 text messages with his Tinder girlfriend over in the United States. She would fly over and he would go and meet up with her while his wife was at home pregnant, go on holidays with her, took her out romantically on Valentine's Day to do dance lessons and stayed at the barracks like less than a kilometer away from the house that he lived in with his wife. 
He was taking holidays with his girlfriend, though, while his wife was at home with these mm. kids having major money worries. And that really upsets me that somebody could be so selfish that they would go on holiday on her credit card, mm -hmm. meet these different women, and she's at home with the kids struggling to put food on the table. Mm. Another layer to Emil is that he was horrible with money. And these started to form a bit of a picture in the detective's eyes around, well, if there's a guy who's so bad with money and could potentially make some money off the life insurance of his wife dying, if you weren't already become suspect number one. But again... Being bad with money does not necessarily make you a murderer. James, have you ever thought about being in a defence attorney? <laughs> <laughs> what was her name? Uh, have I not? <laughs> oh, <laughs> <What> Tina Gutierrez. <laughs> yeah, based on that, I'd, I'd say no. Law was definitely on the cards. I think I've told you before, I've got a... My cousins are a family of lawyers. Four of their children are lawyers, so... Yeah, it definitely doesn't sit too far from the family. My sister studied law. She went to uni for law when she was younger. Thought about it, but never followed through. But I only say that, Ollie, because through this podcast, I think what of what was apparent to me is how other podcasts that I've listened to have actually skewed my view when it comes to police investigations. So you can thank yourself for that, buddy. Because the whole time I was sitting there going, hold up, but in shreds, this happened. And maybe if that's happening here and wait. Because in Serial and Undisclosed, this happened. And so maybe that's happening here. And I was really, through the whole podcast, questioning the motives of the detectives. And it was the wrong frame to obviously head into the podcast with. But genuinely was at every turn when they present evidence, I'd be like, yeah, but... <laughs> that's good, though. You should question everything. I just wanted to put that out there in terms of why, I'm, why, why all of these things independently don't necessarily make someone a murderer. It's the combination of all these things and a couple of others that we'll explore in a moment that probably led to it being pretty evident that Emil had attempted to kill his wife. What we have to remember is there was no evidence in this case, no real solid evidence. There was no mm. smoking gun. And what we have to go on is possibilities and probabilities. And it's a little bit like, I think about it like winning the lottery. Is there a possibility that I could win the lottery? Sure. Mm. Is it probable that I will win the lottery? No. Where it was the opposite for a meal. Not with that attitude. I'll give you I'll give you a bit of your own advice, Oles. Not with that attitude. <laughs> it was the opposite for a meal though. Is it possible that he could have killed his wife? Yes. Is it probable? And then once you look at all the circumstantial evidence, yes, it was more probable that he had tried to kill his wife than he hadn't tried to kill his wife. Any other factor. Yeah. And something else that these three fantastic detectives who I really liked getting to know them a little bit better along the journey because it is mm. such a scandalous journey that you need that friend to walk you through everything that they discovered and how it changed their views as they went along. Discovered that Emil had another family. So Vicky was wife number three. He had another family back in South Africa. James, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about his first family and how he treated them? Is there much to say other than the fact that he completely blanked them, ignored them? They reached out to him multiple times through different means. So the grandmother of that family had reached out saying that his kids wanted a relationship with him. The mother had reached out. Even the daughter had messaged him happy birthday. He blocked her. One of her first memories of Emil is him taking her to the clinic for a paternity test because yeah. he was determined that these weren't his children. Can you imagine how that must feel? Yeah, and you get to hear from her as an adult who is extremely eloquent and articulate 
and trying to just talk about what she thinks her biological father is like she does it so much better than anyone else could have like she uses words that obviously the detectives weren't able to use or the people making the podcast weren't able to use but she's got some pretty strong opinions about the kind of character that she thinks her father is i particularly remember hearing in the podcast her mentioning that she's one of six children that she knows of Mm -hmm. and if a daughter is speaking like that about her father and his activities it was really sad to hear actually i think there could be a movie made about emil silius without him attempting to even kill his wife a couple of times his life was (laughs) just so exceptionally bad in how he treated Mm. people and how i would describe a sex addict somebody who was absolutely addicted to having sex and used and abused women at every single turn and this didn't really come out until the trial, James. Mm. The first trial was a mistrial, and then in the second trial, Emil was found guilty. The idea of the coercive control and domestic violence that Vicky had experienced to the point where she didn't want the detectives to prosecute Emil with attempted murder. I think this is a pretty strong theme in the podcast and something that probably needs a lot more attention and a lot more conversation about because it happens so silently. We're talking about domestic abuse, but through the form of emotional manipulation, blackmail, coercion, to the point where a partner can feed words and language and lies so frequently to their partner that their partner starts to believe it and creates self-sabotage. It creates self-doubt in the partner to a point where they're almost like putty in that manipulators hands and they can get them to do whatever they want really it was like ralph in last week's silent waves when questioned about something that seemed unusual they Mm -hmm. turn it around to make the person asking the question feel really bad for even having thought this how do you ask me that that's disgusting that you thought that it becomes really apparent that he has almost cast a spell over vicky to the point where at trial she goes against what she had said in her in her police interview and almost defends his character to the jury and to the judge. She became a hostile witness. I was thinking, well, if the witness doesn't want to prosecute him, then what grounds do you now have as police officers to to continue? The law, James. <laughs> I got an education, right? I got an education into doing what's right and just. Even if the person who you attempt to kill Mm. doesn't want you to prosecute, the police still have an obligation to try and find evidence. I think what was unusual about this case is, as you mentioned earlier, how determined these three detectives were that Emil had tried to kill his wife twice and potentially Mm. kill his two children. And he was a danger to society and all women and potentially all children. And it was their job, whether Vicky wanted it or not, it was their job to try and find evidence to present to a jury to show that he was guilty of these crimes. Because could you imagine sitting there as one of those detectives with all of that evidence in front of you, knowing what you know and not being able to prove it? I can just imagine how frustrating that would have been. These detectives followed this case for over three years and... It had some pretty severe repercussions on their personal lives. It had some pretty severe repercussions on their health. One of the key themes for me is that domestic violence or domestic abuse presented in a way that probably isn't talked about as much as it should be. Yeah, it doesn't have to be fists. It can be 
the mm. control of money. It can be through lies. It can be through control and coercion. I would encourage all of our listeners to go away and check out some of Vicky's more recent interviews on UK TV. Mm. She's since written a book, which is referred to in the podcast, and she is now fully aware that Emil tried to kill her and will openly say there was no way she would have been able to stand up in court at that time and say, I think Emil tried to kill me because she was still so under his spell. Yeah, she was in, in love with him and in love with the idea of their family unit and the vows that they'd made at their wedding. So manipulated to the point where she could no longer see, she couldn't see the truth, even though it was staring her right in the face. Almost like wanting to believe something different, hoping that it wasn't. I could sympathize with her there. Very common with domestic violence victims. Mm. If I found out information like that, that really challenged my beliefs and my way that I thought about something, I don't know how I would initially respond either, to be honest. It'd be so confronting. Yeah. Well, that's what we refer to as cognitive dissonance, is when mm. you have these competing ideas that yep. directly fly in the face of one another, and you have to decide which one you're going to believe is the truth or which one's going to mm. serve you best. Yeah. So, James, who would you recommend No Strings Attached to and why? Genuinely, I think what this podcast did is reminded me that not all police officers are bad. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray! It reminded me that there are good police officers out there because a lot of the podcasts that we have listened to or that we do explore tend to look at police corruption and the ways in which that that can occur. And this podcast reminded me that there are some really good police officers out there who do their job really well and their goal is justice their goal is the right thing who i'd recommend this podcast to are people that love a good old-fashioned detective show so if you like your inspector foireaux or your your midsummer murders or your sherlock holmes this is a a great podcast because it does take you on this journey of unraveling a case if you will you get that frontline view of events as they unfold and you hear insight from the detectives almost to camera if you were watching it as a movie. So yeah, that's who I'd recommend it to. People that love a good, not quite murder mystery. Yeah. <laughs> a, a failed, Attempted a failed murder, murder. mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you, Oz? Who would you recommend this podcast to? Yeah, agreed. Any Sherlock Holmes fans out there, anybody who loves following the evidence and watching the evidence build and build and build. And anybody who loves a good drama, if you are somebody who loves a bit of scandal, then this is one of those stories where you get to see people's dirty laundry And for some reason, it's so interesting to hear about (laughs) people's private lives when they are so exceptionally busy all the time. Like, where do you have the time? There's messages that they mentioned, 725 texts to the girl over there while still having conversations with his wife and still having conversations with, with the sex workers in his roller decks. He just was so busy. And I wondered, how how do you have that much time? Where do you find the time? (laughs) Now, Ollie, you listen to loads of podcasts a week, and I'm not quite at your level yet, but I know some of our listeners might be. So I'm interested. What else is happening in Ollie's corner? What what else are you listening to? I've just started listening to a new podcast called Unjust and Unsolved by the Obsessed Network. Are you sure you don't want to be a detective? <laughs> you listen to all angles of the of the cases more than I think anyone. Yeah, probably. Of. Something that I like about this particular podcast is it covers so many of the cases that I've listened to in other podcasts. So it's covering some of the cases that Undisclosed have previously covered, Mm -hmm. such as the Ronnie Long case, who recently was released, which is phenomenal. And also a Jamie Snow, whose case was covered by Bob Ruff 
from the Truth mm-hmm. and Justice podcast. Whereas they are long form in Truth and Justice and Undisclosed, these are 30 minute snippets of Mm -hmm. really insightful interviews with prisoners about the injustice that's happened to them. And some of these people have been in prison for three decades. And it's so sad that we've allowed our society to get to the point where people can have so much evidence to show their innocence and they're still in prison. And learning that actual innocence is not a thing. It's not enough to get you out of prison. I think that's why I'm obsessed with them, James, because it just blows my mind that in 2020... It's really sad. This is the world we live in. It seems so archaic. Barbaric. And wrong and just unjust that, that you can have a system that allows someone who you know is innocent to stay in there because... They were convicted by a jury. They, they were convicted once, and in order to overturn that, you have to pull teeth to try and get a retrial. It's extremely, extremely disappointing that we still live in a world like that. Yep. What a fun podcast. <laughs> but like Brian Class said, when you listen to these podcasts, it makes you so much more grateful for the wonderful life that we have. Because mm. even when we're having a bad day, it's nowhere near as bad as somebody who's incarcerated. So yeah. when you step outside and it's raining or you've missed an appointment or everything's gone wrong, you still have your freedom. Chin up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They make me more thankful. They don't depress me. They they fire me up to want to do something about it. Well, just, uh, just from my perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like with the long-form podcast, you get a look at the trial. And with this new podcast that you're mentioning, what was the name of it again? Unjust and Unsolved. With the podcast you usually listen to, although they're in the long form and look at the case, is Unjust and Unsolved more about getting to know the actual prisoner or the person? Interviews with the prisoners and yeah, well, sometimes cool. their family. And it's a it's a summary of where we are now. And the host always provides good insight into any campaigns that are ongoing to help oh nice their legal funds so it's a very proactive podcast and by listening Mm. to it i feel as though you're learning about the best ways to help these people by donating to their different funds yeah wicked oh well you heard it here first ollie's currently listening to a new podcast called unjust and unsolved and if you're like her and just want to consume as much content as possible jump on give it a listen and let us know what you think now ollie i'm curious though what have you got for me next week we listened to no strings attached last week what do you got coming up in the library i noticed james that we have not covered any podcasts about cults that's interesting because i do remember now that you've brought that up you mentioning at the beginning of the podcast of this whole journey that you loved podcasts and one of the words that you use you said unsolved crimes you said murder you said cults as well all right so here we are We've obviously tapped into loosely the Rajneeshi cult that we did that through Power Corrupts, if our our listeners remember. What cult are we looking at next week? It was such a hard choice, James, because there's so many good podcasts about cults and Mm. some of them are modern day cults. Some of them are cults that have suicide pact. Some of them are well-known cults. Some of them are unknown cults. I finally landed on giving you a podcast that's quite old actually it's from 2017 and it's Mm -hmm. a stitcher and pineapple street media production and it's called heaven's gate and why does that ring a bell why does heaven's gate ring a bell i'm just gonna throw it out there that's got nothing to do with the guy in hollywood does it you'll have to listen and find out
There's a good chance that I haven't listened to this for quite a long time, James, so asking me details at this point is a bit sketchy. Ask me next week. <laughs> okay, cool. So we're listening to a podcast called Heaven's Gate, and Ollie's being extremely guarded with this one, so we're going to have to tune in. I think Ollie just can't remember many details at this stage. That's, no, that's, that's all good. But we're going to have to tune in to listen and find out what it's all about. We, we know it's about cults. How many episodes has it got, Oz? Ten. It's got ten episodes, and they're around how long each? 40, 50 minutes. All right, cool. Got about eight to nine hours of, of listening to do this week. So challenge accepted. Going to go away and listen to Heaven's Gate and then we'll be back here next week to review it on the show. Well, we might be on site next week, James. So again, listener warning, our audio quality may be a little bit sketchy for Heaven's Gate. Oh, uh, you know, I think we've been too hard on ourselves. I think our, I think our audio sounds okay. It's not terrible. We're not dialing in from a phone. No, we'll be <laughs> dialing in from a tin can. <laughs> Yeah, all good. I suppose a final thought for today that I really like to end on. No Strings Attached really challenged my frame that I've been building for the last few months around police officers. And a lot of the podcasts that you do listen to do explore dirty police, corrupt police. A lot of the movies out there have that same theme as well. And what No Strings Attached did for me really well is remind me that there are good police officers out there. There are people out there who love doing their job and they do it for the right reasons. And in No Strings Attached... I just wanted to give a massive shout out to Maddie, Paul and Mark for having justice as their end goal when it came to solving this case. We want to say a massive thank you to Robert Murphy and the whole team at ITV News for bringing this podcast together. You did a fantastic job and we really appreciate it. We also want to say a massive thank you for granting us exclusive access to original content and the making of our podcast. A huge thank you to all our listeners who have tuned in to this episode of My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast reviewing No Strings Attached. We really appreciate your ongoing support. And if you want to drop us an email, you can do at myfriendhasnever at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. So one way in which you can help other people find us is by leaving us a five-star review on whichever podcast app you're listening to us on or tell your friends. It really does help other people find us. You can also reach us on all of our socials. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find us on wherever good pods are cast. So James, Christmas is just around the corner. Just hear those sleigh bells ringing a ring, ting, ting, a ling, ting. <laughs> we wanted to do something really special for you guys. And we finally decided that rather than answering individual questions that pop up in our inbox, that we would do a Ask Us Anything episode. You can email us, tweet us, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram, anything you want to know. We've had some weird ones already related to my deafness and James's acting career. We are happy to answer almost <laughs> anything. So if you send in your questions, we will collate them all. We will record an episode and we will be releasing it before Christmas. As a little gift to you, one of the things that's been coming back quite a lot from our listeners is that they're getting to they're getting to know us and more so than we probably realized, we've been giving a bit of information about ourselves out <laughs> to our listeners and it's seeming to hit the mark. People have been enjoying getting to know us. So yeah, we thought we'd give you a little bit more of us with your own special Christmas episode. So send in your questions, your comments. 
That's your Christmas present. Yep. To you from us. I think what's triggered this is James and I did a bit of an in-depth analysis of our listener base, particularly by location. And although we expected to have the majority of our listeners in Australia, which to be expected we do have, it was really interesting to find out that we also have a huge listening base in the States, in Canada, in Russia, in Africa, and really <laughs> random places, places that I've never heard of. The UAE popped up there, Cook Islands. So wherever you are in the world, if you want to send a question into James and I, yeah. <laughs> we are happy to answer your questions. And thank you for listening. If they come in a different language, we'll do our best to use Google Translate. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so send in your questions and that episode will be dropping at some stage in December. As always, a massive thank you to MJ from Multidesign for our theme music. All right, James, I'll talk to you on the other side. I'll talk to you on the other side, buddy. <laughs>